welcome to Sundays of Grace, the preaching ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I am Pastor Bill again. So glad you've tuned in for this edition of the podcast. We are in week three of our sermon series, Man Overboard, Jumping Ship into the Arms of a Loving Savior. In today's message, we're going to talk about fear. And I think this message will be very timely. As a nation, many people are maybe consumed a little bit with fear in light of the coronavirus. We're going to see today how God eradicates our fear. If you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with this message. And again, there's a link there if you would so choose. You could click on the link and support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church and help us continually put out these podcasts. I do hope that you are uh, not too concerned with the virus. I pray that it's not causing you too much anxiety. We need to remember that God is uh, still sovereign. He's still king. He's still on the throne. And that God is looking out for us. And um, he will always look out for us. He is a faithful God. And uh, we can bring our anxieties to him. So uh, I pray this message encourages you in that front. And so let's get right to the message. How God eradicates our fears. Have an awesome Well, good morning, Robinson Grace. Welcome to Online Church 2020. So glad that you've tuned in this morning. Um, we're able to have this service, even though we can't meet in the church. We're so glad that you are able to connect. We're all able to connect over the internet like this. And uh, so we have a message today that I think you'll find very encouraging. We're back in Jonah chapter 3. We're just going to continue where we were, but some words that I think are very timely for where we're at today. So let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the scriptures together this morning. Father God, thank you that we can meet. Thank you for the technology that opens the doors for us to meet across the miles and uh, to still gather together and be encouraged from your word. I pray for every one of our families, Lord, that are home right now. Pray for their safety. Pray for their comfort. Pray they have uh, all the supplies and provisions they need. Pray that you will keep everyone um, everyone safe from the virus. And Lord, that keep us healthy and strong. And we pray, Lord, that uh, very soon we can all get back together again at the church and uh, worship together as a church family. Bless us today as we open your word. Speak to us from your word. Um, challenge us and encourage us. All for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, uh, today I'm going to talk about how God eradicates our fears. How about a timely message for that? We're going to talk about fear this morning, an incredibly timely topic. And let me start here if I can. I have a long list of fears. I thought this was kind of uh, fascinating. Phobolist.com is a collection of, of the names and descriptions of more than 500 fears that a man named Fred Colbertson has collected and organized. He also sells a poster-sized version of the entire list that can be hung on your wall. Mr. Colbertson claims all the phobias mentioned on his site can be, fa can be uh, found in reference books or in medical papers. Among the unusual fears that he lists, I'll try to get these pronounced right, there's paleidophobia, the fear of bald people. Bald people. There's geniophobia, the fear of chins. There's allophobia, the fear of flutes. How about this one? Parascavadectriophobia, the fear of Friday the 13th. How about that one? Yeah. Anthrophobia, the fear of mother-in-law. 
and petronophobia, the fear of being tickled by feathers. So uh, there's like 500 different phobias on this, uh, in this collection, and I think that's pretty fascinating. Now, some of those, those fears are kind of humorous, and, and uh, we can't maybe relate to those. But here's the bottom line. All of us have our fears. We all have things that we are afraid of. In fact, consider some of the fears of these famous people. For instance, Jennifer Aniston, Cher, and Whoopi Goldberg, they're all aviophobes. They are afraid of flying. Barbara Streisand is xenophobia. She is uncomfortable around strangers. Michael, the former Michael Jackson was haunted by the fear of contamination, infections, and diseases. He was misophobic. But the celebrity with the most phobias is Woody Allen. He's afraid of insects, sunshine, dogs, deer, bright colors, children, heights, small rooms, crowds, and cancer. So there you go. Here's the truth. Famous people of the past were no different. George Washington was scared to death of being buried alive. I think I would be too. Richard Nixon was terrified of hospitals. And Napoleon Bonaparte, the military and political genius, feared cats. Again... We all have our fears. Now, as I was studying this week in Jonah chapter 3, I was struck by the corona, uh, coronavirus scare that we're all in and the fear we have of the coronavirus as a society. And it kind of uh, linked up with Jonah chapter 3 in, in an inter interesting way for me. And we're going to see that today as we go through Jonah chapter 3. Now, as we think about the coronavirus, uh, there's... Uh, all kinds of opinions on it. You know, there are some that think we're totally overreacting. There are some that think we're not reacting enough. And uh, somehow the truth is probably in the middle there somewhere. But we all have our concerns when it comes to this coronavirus. And um, the reality is, once again, we all have our fears and we deal with fear in different ways. Now we're in week, this is week three of our series, Man Overboard, Jumping Ship into the Arms of a Loving Savior. It's the story of that runaway prophet Jonah as he was tossed overboard into the angry sea and God swept him up in his loving arms in the context of that whale. And we're seeing in this series that you can never outrun or outsin God's love. It, the wicked Ninevites could not outsin God's love, and uh, at the same time, the runaway prophet himself, Jonah, could not outrun God's love. He could not escape it. So we're going to see that reinforced today in chapter 3. It is a somewhat short chapter, just 10 simple verses, but they are powerful verses, and they will show us how God eradicates our fear. Jonah chapter 3 then, let me read these 10 verses and then let's start to unpack this this morning. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. 
and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Maybe may, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. So here we are in Jonah 3 and here is our big idea. This is what we're going to see today in the text. We have nothing to fear but God himself. We have nothing to fear but God himself. We've all heard the phrase, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, let's just get a little bit of better perspective on that this morning. Here's a big idea. You can put it on your fridge, put it on there all week. We have nothing to fear but God himself. Now, as we go through this, I'm going to expand that big idea just a little bit for you in a moment. But let's look here, three ways that God eradicates our fears. Three ways. Number one, the fear of God eradicates our fears. The fear of God eradicates our fears. Verse 4, look at verse 4 there. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I find it interesting. We have a summary here of Jonah's uh, message. And uh, again, Jonah, it's the second time. Jonah was called in chapter 1 and, and called to go call out against Nineveh, and he ran away. But here he is once again, and he comes to Jonah and says, take this message to them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I'm assuming the message of Jonah was more than one sentence. I'm sure that it probably identified Yahweh as the one who was calling them out. I'm sure it identified their wickedness and their violence. And I'm sure it probably identified God's forgiveness and his mercy and his grace if they would just repent. But here, I just want you to notice where God starts, the, what God emphasizes in his message. Basically, it's this. You know, you better fear me. You better fear me. And the reality is the fear of God will eradicate our fears. Look with me in Matthew chapter 10. There's a fascinating conversation that Jesus has with the disciples one time. And listen to his, his words to them about fear. Matthew 10, 27. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus says, preach the word, don't be afraid, be bold, preach it, and, uh, and, and don't be afraid. Now, there's two, two simple things in here I want you to note. First, Jesus is telling them all and telling you and I that our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. Remember that we are a soul that has a spirit and lives in a body. We are not just a physical body with a few emotions thrown in. We are a soul that has a spirit and lives in a body and our spiritual life is ultimately more important than our physical life. You know, a lot of people are scared about the coronavirus and worried about what if I get the coronavirus? Well, you know, more, more significant, a greater fear is what happens if you get the coronavirus and you would die and not know Christ? What about your spiritual life? It's more important than simply your physical life. It's the difference between living a hundred years physically and living for all eternity spiritually. Here's the second thing in this 
this little conversation Jesus has. It's simply this, that if you fear God, and when you think of fear, think of revere or respect. If you fear God, you will have nothing else to fear. Having the proper fear in God will give us the right perspective. That's the bottom line. Now, a point of clarification here, when the Bible says again to fear God, that doesn't mean God wants us to be scared of Him. God doesn't want to be another fear on our list of irrational fears. He doesn't want Yahweh phobia to be a real thing. He identifies himself. God identifies himself as a father. And as a father, he wants us to know that he's approachable, that he's tender and he's kind and he's loving and he's forgiving and he's merciful. But he does want us to fear him. He does want us to respect him. He does want us to know that our spiritual life is more important than our physical life. With that in mind, let's take our big idea and expand it just slightly today. And here's how we're going to repeat this throughout the sermon today. We have nothing to fear, think worship, but God himself. We have nothing to fear, think worship, but God himself. So to eradicate your fears, start with fearing and worshiping your heavenly Father. Learning, uh, learning what it means to fear God in a healthy and biblical way. That will eradicate, start to eradicate your fears. Here's the second thing, second way that God eradicates our fears. The will of God eradicates our fear. The will of God eradicates our fear. Verse one, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, now note, Jonah's gonna get a second crack at doing what God wanted him to do. First time, he ran away in the opposite direction. But now, he spit up onto the beach, uh, just facing Nineveh, and he picks himself up, and he heads in the direction of Nineveh to do God's will. Now, it's interesting at this point to know, just, just interesting at this point to know something here, um, that Jonah, and uh, I, I'm trying to, to yeah, just note this about Jonah, that Jonah has, is living a life where he's not really at peace with God. His, his soul is really troubled, and that's important to note. And there's three evidences of this as we look at Jonah's story. First, in chapter 1, he ran away from the presence of the Lord. It's not like Jonah just didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and he just sat there and said, no, Jonah ran from God's presence. He tried to run from God's spirit because, well, the reality is I, I, I don't think he was at peace with God. He wanted to get away from God because he wasn't at peace with God. His soul was troubled. We go on, we see that Jonah tried to hide in the obvious storm. So later on, he's on this boat, and this huge storm comes up, and it's ravaging the boat. And where's Jonah? But he's down in the bottom of the boat, sleeping, supposedly sleeping, pretending to sleep. I think he's trying to hide and ignore the obvious storm around him, the obvious sense that God is displeased with what he's doing. We know this because the minute the sailors come down and wake him up, as if he was really sleeping, they wake him up. Jonah wastes no time in raising his hand and saying, yeah, it's my fault. You see, I worship, uh, ironically, I fear the one true God and uh, the God of the Hebrews who made the land and the sea, and uh, yeah, I'm running from him. So I know the storm is my doing, so toss me overboard and save yourself. That's the reality. And then the third thing we see here is that Jonah gets in the belly of that whale, and for three days he prays and cries out in great anguish because he's simply not at peace with God. So if you add this all up, what do you get? We get the simple reality that if you ignore the will of God, your life won't be at peace with God. Your soul will be troubled. As a believer, you will be saved. 
Your life will be restless and troubled. You'll be saved, but your life will be restless and troubled. And instead of fearing God, you will be consumed and taken captive by other fears. The opposite then is true, that if you obey the will of God, you will know the peace of God. So let me give you two things here because we tend to, to we, this, this whole issue of understanding that God's will eradicates our fear. Let's look at this here. I want to show it to you in two ways. There's a reality check and then a question. But the reality check is this, and this, God's word is God's will. So when Jonah, when God says to Jonah, I want you to go, that's God's will for Jonah's life. And we often get into this thing of wanting to know what's God's will for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? What's God's will? Well, let me just tell you up front that God's word, the scriptures, the Bible, is God's will. Let me give you two simple examples of this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and and, and Paul writes this, giving thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will that we be thankful. It's It's God's will that we're thankful in all circumstances. And this is actually possible because God is working in every single circumstance. He certainly is. But consider this with me. What primary emotion steals our gratitude? What primary emotion steals our gratitude? Fear. When we're afraid. That steals our gratitude. I mean, even now amidst the coronavirus fear, instead of being thankful for what we have and grateful that we have food uh, on the table and that things are fine, what do we do? In fear, we go out and we hoard food and we hoard toilet paper and, and we have this, 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 uh, just this uh, uh, craziness that kind of goes throughout our society. And if all of society was just grateful for what they had and not afraid, things would be much better. The key is if I am deliberate in being grateful, it will eradicate my fears of not having enough. I will, it puts my focus on my provider. Here's one other example of this. Uh, it's God's will that we're, we're thankful. It's also God's will that we be ready. It's God's will that we be ready. What do I mean by be ready? Well, look at this, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is long-suffering towards us, not willing there's his will, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Basically, God is saying that before you die physically, he wants you to know him spiritually. He wants you to take care of your spiritual life. And that's why God was sending Jonah to the very wicked Ninevites, because he cared about their spiritual life. Repent, turn back to me, and I'll forgive you. Well, add to that this verse in 1 Peter 3.15. And here's what Peter writes. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So simply put, it is God's will that we be ready to tell somebody else about the hope we have in Christ. That we are ready, that we're prepared to go out and show someone how they can have spiritual life with Christ. Because their spiritual life is more important than their physical life. It's up to us to be ready to give them hope in a hopeless situation. Can you do that? Can you offer hope to an unbeliever? Can you share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Christ and give them hope? Here's the thing. What's the number one thing that keeps us from sharing our faith and giving people that hope? What's the number one thing? It's fear. That's right. It's fear. And here's the reality, the more ready I am, the more ready I am to share my faith and to give my hope, that'll combat that fear. You see, God's will eradicates our fear. When, I, when, I, when I'm thankful, when I'm ready, when I'm any number of things, the scripture points out his will to us, when I do those things, it will eradicate my fear.
Now I get it, we talk about God's fear, though we talk about, well, what's God's fear in this specific situation? What should I do about this job, this relationship, this financial purchase? It's like, God, what do you want me to do right in this very specific situation? I, I get it. We all have those personal issues where we want God to weigh in and to give us counsel. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong in any way. I'm just saying if you want to know God's will, start with God's word. And there's plenty in God's word that we need to listen to. And and the reality is for Jonah, think about it. Jonah has a sobering lesson for us all. Jonah objected to God's word. And sometimes we do. Sometimes God's word, which is his will, we object to it. See, Jonah's problem wasn't knowing God's will. Jonah's problem was doing God's will. And that can be your story and mine. And again, it goes back to what we talked about. We have nothing to fear, think worship, nothing to fear but God himself. And the will of God, actually think of it this way, the will of God facilitates the peace of God. The will of God will facilitate the peace of God Much like Jonah wasn't at peace when he was uh, objecting to God's will, that is your story and my story as well. So consider this question with me then because let's just unpack this a little bit further here a minute. God's will eradicates our fears. So here's the question, why do we fight against God's will? In a more specific sense, why do we fight against God's will if it will give us peace, if it will will eradicate our fear? Well, there's really three fears that we all kind of tend to deal with. There is, of course, the fear of injustice. This is Jonah's kind of fear. Sometimes like Jonah, God wants us to forgive somebody and offer mercy or grace to an enemy and we're like, wait a minute, Lord, I don't want to do that. Time out. I don't, I'm not so sure I want to do that. The Bible is clear. Listen to Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So we get it right. It's God's will that we forgive because he forgave us. He wants us to forgive. I often talk about living out the gospel and working out our salvation, but consider this perspective this morning. Uh, Think about this. When I forgive someone, I am actually sharing the gospel or the good news with them. I am. When I uh, forgive you, I am sharing the gospel with you. I am sharing the forgiveness that Christ has given me. Now, what a new perspective on the gospel when you think about sharing the gospel. When I give someone forgiveness, I'm actually sharing the gospel with them. That's pretty fascinating. The truth is, sometimes, like Jonah, we're afraid to forgive. Will I get hurt again? Are they really sorry? I mean, forgive them, but are they really sorry? Is this really fair that I forgive them when they have wronged me? Here's the thing to remember. We have nothing to fear, think worship, than God himself. I don't, have to, I don't have to be afraid of someone else's intentions. I don't have to be afraid of how someone will respond if I choose to forgive them. I just have to forgive them as Christ forgave me. And I can do so. I can trust God. I can forgive that wrong and I can love my enemy fearlessly. The reality is, is that the will of God will eradicate my fears.
I need to know that. So there's the fear of injustice. There's the fear of inconvenience. What's the fear of inconvenience? Well, I was thinking about that. I have right here, this is my phone. This is my iPhone, really. iPhone, right? Uh, your phone might not be called an iPhone. Mine's called an iPhone. Why is it called an iPhone? We call them iPhones because, well, for instance, you don't just hear this phone. You can see this phone. It's the, like the, your eye. It's an iPhone. And my iPhone has my iTunes, and it has... It has um, it has iPhoto and iMovie and all these different components of things. I can see my music, not just hear it. It's iTunes. And so that's the reality when we think about our phone. Now, the, the, the truth is, there's another, there, there's another name they could have put on this phone because the I represents something else as well. There's another phrase. It would have been a little more self-centered and selfish, but it's, it's what we would call the my phone because this is my phone, right? And it has my music, and it has, it, has, it has my photos, and it has my movies. This is my phone. That's the honest truth. Remember back in the day when there was one phone in the house, or maybe three or four phones, but they all had the same number? And someone would call up, and you'd answer the phone, and you'd be like, Melissa, the phone's for you! You know, and, and, and that's how it operates. And today, we all have our, phone, our own phone number, and we all have our own phone. I have my phone. You know what else my phone has? There's something called iCalendar or my calendar. Yeah, I have my calendar. And you have your calendar. And we have our calendar. And we put things on our calendar. And the reality is sometimes God comes along and God's will doesn't necessarily jive with my calendar. It's like, I don't know about that. There's a great example of this in Matthew 16. Just unpack this passage here a minute. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, so Jesus gives Peter a great pat on the back and says, Great answer, and you know what? God the Father has revealed that to you, and, I, and that's awesome that you know that answer. But then he goes on and says this curious thing in verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now why would he say that? Why would he tell them not to tell anybody that he was the Christ? Why not spread the news far and wide? The Messiah is here. Well, he goes on and explains in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, you get what's going on here? Jesus just patted Peter on the back. Great answer, Peter. You know who I am. And then just a few seconds later, he's like reprimanding him. He, he actually calls him Satan. If, if Peter had gotten a big head, he certainly, uh, he certainly popped it in very short order. He's like, Peter, you're not mindful of God's things. You're mindful of your things, the things of this earth. Here's the reality when he says, get behind me, Satan. The issue was is that well, Peter didn't have the crucifixion on his calendar. That wasn't in his agenda. That wasn't, that wasn't in his plans. He was, actually, his calendar had a revolution in it or a revolt in it. And Jesus was going to lead this revolution and set all of Israel free. And that was in his calendar. 
Peter's my calendar did not have a crucifixion. And that's why all the way to the cross, when they get to the cross, actually Peter, well, he kind of denies Jesus and he kind of uh, abandons Jesus at the cross all alone. They had different agendas. And sometimes God's will is an inconvenience to us because it's not what we had planned. It's not what we wanted to do. Jesus goes on in Matthew 16 then and kind of shares this that kind of wraps it up. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, Jesus says, "Uh, you know what? You need to give me control of your my calendar. You need to let me have authority over your calendar. And sometimes your calendar, I need to interrupt it. I need to add some things into your calendar that you weren't planning on. And sometimes they may not be the most uh, pleasant, enjoyable things like the crucifixion. But they're a necessity and they help us grow in our spiritual walk. So there can be the fear of an injustice, the fear of an inconvenience. And then one of the most common fears is the fear of our inadequacy, the fear of being inadequate. And God calls us to something and we're like, oh Lord, I can't do that. I'm I'm just not adequate to do that. And we need to always remember that when God calls us to something, Uh, He will empower us. He will be there to see us through. Whatever God calls us to, He sees us through and we need to know that. The reality is, think about Jonah again. He wasn't simply running from Nineveh. He was running from the presence of the Lord. He was running from the very one who would empower him to do this difficult task of going and forgiving his enemies. And we need to know that. Hebrews 13 has a great word of advice for us. Hebrews 13 verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We need to know that whatever God calls us to, he will see us through. So whether it's an injustice, uh, an inconvenience, or an inadequacy, the reality is God can see us through and we need to step forward and know that God's will will eradicate our fears. Again, we have nothing to fear, think worship, nothing to fear but God himself. And if we just fear God and worship God above all, he will see us through our fears. So how do we eradicate our fears? Number one, the fear of God eradicates our fears. Think worship. And number two, the will of God eradicates our fears. Know that you can trust God and follow his will fearlessly. And that takes us to this last one, the love of God eradicates our fear. The love of God. Now the thing is, the entire story of Jonah is about the incredible love and compassion that God has, not just for Nineveh, but for Jonah. And we'll see next week more of that, of his love and compassion for Jonah. But here's the thing we need to understand is when we look at Nineveh, we look at this violently wicked city and they're faced with this impending judgment of God and this does indeed scare them. It does. And this is where I saw some intersection with where we're at today as a country. I saw some memes on Facebook this week. Uh, Some people posted some scripture verses basically saying, you know what, we need to to repent and cry out to God in face of this coronavirus and that God would have mercy on us. And they tend to look at the coronavirus and kind of see it as God's judgment on America or on the world. 
Um, the reality is these verses are taken kind of out of context. I, I wouldn't say coronavirus is God's judgment on America, but I get the sentiment. I get their sentiment. I'm scared. You should be too, and we need to repent and cry out to God for mercy. One thing that struck me in these memes was the underlying theme or idea, though, that God is merciful, and God is forgiving, and God is loving, and that if we just cry out and repent to Him, He will forgive us. Well, again, I don't know that that's the case, really. I, I think there's some, uh, some theology there that might be a little bit off, but I get the sentiment. And we do have a God that is loving and a God that is forgiving, and we need to know that if we're scared, we can run to that God, and He will hold us in His arms. Think about, thinking about that concept of how the love of God eradicates our fears, think about this verse in 1 Peter 4. It's a beautiful verse, one of the most powerful verses here. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now there's a lot in that verse, but the root of it takes us back to the gospel. It takes us back to the cross. And simply know this, the gospel eradicates our fear. The gospel eradicates our fear. We see in, in chapter 3 of Jonah, what we see is a testimony of the power of God's word and the power of the gospel. Now I get it, Christ hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't died and rose yet. But everything in chapter 3 is undergirded by the future death and resurrection of Christ by the gospel. That's the truth. And so Jonah comes and preaches to Nineveh. He warns them, he exhorts them, and the people of Nineveh respond. And their response is a picture of some of the various elements of the gospel just being worked out and fleshed out. It's fascinating. Consider this in verse 5. It starts with the role of faith. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. The simple fact is we are saved by grace through faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. And so here's Nineveh, and they simply believed God. What did they believe? Well, they believed what he said. That in 40 days they would be wiped out if they didn't cry out and repent. And so they cried out and repented. They believed. And the reality is we need to understand that, that there's a role of faith involved in the gospel that, that we believe. We talked about that earlier in the year that it's Christ who had the faith, but we believe that Jesus went to the cross. We believe that Jesus believed his death and resurrection could save us. Verses 5 and 6, there's a demonstration of humility. They call for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word even reached the king of Nineveh. And so the Bible tells us that they stopped eating, they wore sackcloth, but it was the greatest of them, the nobles, all the way to the king. It says the king took off his robe and humbled himself before the true king of kings. And this great act of humility in the gospel hinges on humility, right? Jesus was humble and went to the cross, but it requires our humility that we humble ourselves before a holy God. Verses 7 and 8, we see the act of repentance. Let everyone, the king said, turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And the king tells the people to repent. And everybody repents. They turn. To repent is to turn. It is to change. It is to change the way we think. Now, repentance can often be misunderstood. Some think that repentance means to change our behavior. That's not so much the case. But what it is in this case is that repentance is changing the way you see your behavior not necessarily changing it. You see, 
We can't change our behavior. We can only see what needs changing. God's Spirit at work in us changes our behavior. So for them to repent is to turn from their sin, to see their sin as sin, and to turn from it. And yet even then, we need the power of God to help us overcome our sin. Finally, down in verses 9 and 10, outpouring of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. We have the outpouring here of mercy and grace and forgiveness. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They certainly did not deserve God's mercy and forgiveness, but they experienced it, did they not? And as they did, it eradicated their greatest fear, the fear of being wiped out by a righteous, holy, and wrathful God. Now, let me just give you here three simple observations here. We, we saw the gospel here and the elements of the gospel fold out and how the gospel eradicates our fear. Look at here, actually five, five simple observations. Number one, we must read Jonah's story through the lens of God's New Testament grace. We're not under law today, we're under grace. And when we read these words and read this story, we have to see it through the lens of grace. Consider this, we live in a post-cross and a post-resurrection dispensation of grace. Look at verse 9. It says, Who knows, the king said, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is the kind of verse we need to read through the present dispensation of grace. And we need to understand that when it says, Who knows, God may turn from his fierce anger. We know that we who have trusted Christ can read it this way. This is the grace-based edition. I know God has turned. He has relented. He is no longer angry and, he will, and we will not perish. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a certainty. It adds context to this verse again in 1 Peter. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, we don't fear because the love of Christ has taken on our punishment and given us his grace. I don't have to fear God today. I can boldly approach his throne of grace. Observation number two here we see is simply this. There is no one who is beyond the incredible love of God. If God can forgive the wicked Ninevites, God can forgive anyone. There's, there's no one you know that God can't forgive. So never give up on anybody. Never stop praying for anybody. Never stop sharing hope with anybody. No one is beyond the incredible grace and mercy of God. Not even yourself. Observation number three is that God's love is greater than the greatest sin. Tucked away in this story is something quite fascinating. It is, a, it is the Hebrew word gadot, meaning great, greater, greatest. Let me show you how many times the word appears in Jonah. Here are the references in Jonah. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. it. 1, 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Chapter 1, verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. Gadow afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? Uh, verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Chapter 1, verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly or greatly. And in verse 17, the Lord appointed a, a Gadow fish, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Chapter 3, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 3. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Chapter 3, verse 5. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. In chapter 3, verse 7. And he issued a proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles, the greatest. What we see in this text is a great city known for their great sin. We see that Jonah's disobedience brought on a great storm that caused a great fear in the sailors. We see that God has Jonah swallowed up by a great fish. And then Jonah ends up preaching to that great city. And it causes the greatest of its people to humble themselves before God. Underpinning all of this, though, is the simple message that there is nothing greater than God's love. Greater than our accomplishments, greater than our disobedience, greater than our sin. In fact, catch this observation number four. God's love is even greater than God's own judgment. God's love is greater than his own judgment. Absolutely nothing is greater than God's love. We have nothing to fear. Think worship, but God himself. And finally, can I leave you with observation number five? Yes, 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 yes. God's love is even greater than our greatest fears. And I hope you know that this week. In light of coronavirus, I hope you know that his love is greater than our greatest fears. It is the fear of God, think worship, that eradicates our fears. It's the will of God, be grateful, be thankful, be ready. That eradicates our fears. And it is the love of God that took on our punishment that eradicates our fears. Let's pray and I'll give you a final word. Father God, thank you so much that your love is greater than our greatest fears. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your forgiveness and your patience and your kindness. And we just right now turn to you in the, in the midst of this coronavirus and the fears and the worries that we have. And we just know that your love is greater. We pray that you would help us be ready to show that love and to give that hope to a world around us that desperately needs it. Fill us with your grace and your mercy and your peace today. Fill us with your hope and your joy and your kindness and your love and eradicate all our fears. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just say, let me just say, um, there are, you may be noticed in the schedule for today, there's two videos in there. And so there's a second video called, a song called The Blessing. And if you want to wrap up the morning, you can just simply uh, click on that video, watch The Blessing. It's a song. And um, uh, it's a, kind of a long, about eight minutes. You can probably fade it out because they kind of, kind of reamp the video again. But um, it might be an encouragement to you to close your morning out watching this song called The Blessing. It's in the, uh, it's in the YouTube folder there with the message. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Uh, and uh, we'll let you know where we're going to be next Sunday. Might re- be right back here once again. Have a great week. Love you. We're praying for you. Have a great week.